Hey, Kevin Shredlin here, and this week's episode of Grow the Show is going to be a little bit different than usual. You may have noticed upon clicking play that this one is way longer than usual episodes of Grow the Show, and there is a reason for that. Today, we are going to be giving you a sneak peek inside the Grow the Show podcast accelerator program and giving you full access to a Q&A session that we held with Eric Newsom. Eric Newsom is a godfather in the podcasting scene. He essentially brought podcasting to NPR in the 2000s. He would lead the podcasting division of NPR for a long time. He would lead podcasting at Audible for a long time. And recently, he launched his own podcast production company called Magnificent Noise. He's also the author of Make Noise, which is a book that I recommend you read if you haven't already. He was the very first guest of this podcast. So if you scroll all the way back to episode number two of Grow the Show, you will hear Eric's story and hear what he teaches. And overall, he is just a guiding light in what we do here at Grow the Show because he has taught me and everyone here so much. Eric was also gracious enough to stand in for me uh, during a coaching session in within the Grow the Show podcast accelerator this past July. So we've got about 115 clients in the Grow the Show podcast accelerator and we host uh, two hour long coaching sessions every single week. And this past July, I took a break. I took a vacation. It was the first vacation I took in almost two years. It was awesome. And Eric Newsom was gracious enough to hold a guest coaching session while I was gone. And that is what you are going to be hearing today. Now, originally, my plan was to chop this up and, you know, just share little bits and pieces of this session uh, publicly. But when I came back from vacation and I listened through and I, you know, reviewed the entire two-hour coaching session, I was blown away at how pretty much every single minute of it was super, super valuable. So that's what we're sharing with you here today. Here, you're going to hear the questions that the Grow the Show clients asked Eric. You're going to hear his responses in full. And in doing so, you're going to learn several different things, including how to make an amazing show, how to think about getting your first sponsors, how to think about who your audience is, and and many, many, many more things. So please, please, please refer to this. I don't expect you to listen to all of this in one go, but I do think that you are going to find value in every single minute of what we've shared here today. So it's almost two hours long. Uh, Certainly, you know, chop it up, come back to it, you know, maybe make some notes on what is said when, uh, because you're going to want to save this because it's going to help you no matter where you are in your current podcasting journey. Uh, And it is just going to be something that really helps you find clarity, I think, because Eric is just an absolute pro. So here's a very, very, very special thanks to Eric Newsom for holding this guest coaching session with our clients here at Grow the Show. Here's a special thanks to Catherine Nails, the associate producer of the Grow the Show podcast, who emceed this coaching session as well. You're going to hear her voice first. And also, here's a very special thanks to our clients here at Grow the Show for allowing us to share their questions uh, and for being vulnerable and allowing everyone else to get value from them being coached. So without further ado, this is the guest coaching session featuring Eric Newsom within the Grow the Show podcast accelerator right here and now. Let me know what you think. Hello, everybody. 
with us today, we have the illustrious Eric Newsom. Um, all of you guys got his book when you join the course. Eric helped start NPR's podcasting efforts in 2005, and he has been the driving force behind some of the most popular shows. Um, so this format of this coaching session, I think, as you guys already know, is going to be slightly different than usual. Uh, a lot of you guys submitted questions ahead of time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to prompt you to ask your question uh, for Eric. And if you forgot it, no worries. I have the questions with me. And he's going to do his best to answer them. So with that, I think we are going to start um, with one of our first questions um, from Kate Jetmore. Kate was asking, she, she's saying that you tend to fall on the creative side of podcasting and that you really enjoy those areas, but you find the areas of marketing and promotion to be exhausting and that you find you quickly burn out there. So your question was uh, really, how can you best stay the course with those key elements of the process that are unsustainable uh, for you or that are more difficult for you? Hi, so hello to all, and Kate, that's a great question. And you know, the funny thing is, is you're far from alone. Um, we deal with this even at our company of when we started Magnificent Noise, which was a little over three years ago, what I hear from a lot of people who are independent producers is they feel they spend so much time on the marketing and distribution side that they, they don't get to do the creative, the fun stuff. And I don't want to know. I just want to make my show, right? I don't want to care. And it's changed so much in the past three years. The, you know, three years ago when I, uh, when we started Magnificent Noise, there was four or 500,000 podcasts in the world. Now they're over 2 million. There's a new podcast every 30 seconds, every 30 seconds. So we've been talking, there's been three, three or four podcasts that have popped up even since we started talking about this. And so, you know, it's it's in some ways it is so difficult because even though the 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 tsunami of new podcasts coming into the space has grown so exponentially, the number of promotional opportunities or ways to engage with distributors like TuneIn or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, those opportunities haven't increased. So you're seeing more and more people fight for those spots, and you're also seeing. Um, less and less space for independent producers. So where, you know, if there's 10 slots open up to promote things and you've got all these massive companies putting out all these huge projects, starring celebrities and everything else, where's the room for the independent person to kind of find their people? And I know I have two pieces of advice, I think. Uh, the first piece of advice is oddly, see if you can find someone who gets as excited about the distribution side as you get about the creative side and see if there's a way to partner with them. Those people do exist in the world. They're trying to find, a, they love podcasting. They advocate and evangelize about podcasting and they just are trying, they're trying to find a place in the industry too. And they are um, uh, looking for creatives to partner with. I'd be very careful about some of these arrangements because some people may be uh, a little too, uh, um, opportunistic or, or really kind of looking to kind of make, uh, you know, make more than what they should be off of your podcast or own part of it, which is a ridiculous thing for a, for a distributor to do for something that you paid to create. Um, 
Uh, so that's number one, is to find other DIY people who, who you can partner with who can lighten some of this load so you don't have to worry about it. Or for a DIY network or a small organization that specializes in this, and they, those places do exist. And um, uh, the second thing is um, you kind of have to embrace that this is your job. That it's not, your job is not just to create, unfortunately. It would be great if we could sit and create, but you know, the connection to the audience and the connection to the process makes you a better creator because you're in a more informed place. You're in a more informed place from uh, 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 understanding what audiences respond to. If you're sitting there watching those download numbers come in, you're like, wow, I put out this episode, people are nuts, and I put out this episode and nobody seemed to care, or I've got a string of nobody seeming to care and asking yourself those questions, why? Why am I not seeing the response that I want or expect? And that can lead to some introspection that can, you know, even simple things like the way you describe your podcast or the title of your podcast or the artwork. There's all these things that have nothing to do with creation that end up impeding creation if you don't get them right. And so as a creator and a proprietor, you almost have to own that that isn't an escapable part of the work. And frankly, you don't want to give it away because um, no one's going to care about it the way you do. I think that's my, that's a real long answer. I probably won't give everyone that long of an answer, but it's a big topic. And it's, and the reason I want to spend more time on it was it's something that people really struggle with right now because people are, are coming into podcasting. They're super passionate about the space. They have ideas. They want to connect to an audience. They're super jazzed. They put it out in the world and they just don't know how to get that audience. Absolutely. That's a great answer. And I think there are some truths that uh, maybe a lot of people needed to hear. Yeah. Um, but we're going to move on to something a little bit more specific. And this is Julian Alvarez's question. Um, and it is about um, the interview process. I might not remember it entirely, but um, I think it was it was something along the lines of uh, the storytelling component of how do you identify like a, a good story versus a bad story? How, what questions do you ask in order to be able to decipher like, what what components of the story actually matter and as some context i was initially with my podcast about entrepreneurship focusing more on the startup the problem that they're solving and whatnot but then i realized like hey story is really important let me add more context more depth and understanding into this entrepreneur and how they got there so it's like i don't know how much time to spend on the story how much time to spend on the startup and also like what components of the story actually matter and how to craft that so I, I think the most important thing is to ask, what is this person, what is their expertise and whether they really have to say? And sometimes the answer to that um, is not what it initially appears to be. So I'll give you an example. There's a series I'm working on right now for Spotify that's being hosted by a Fortune 50 CEO talking to people in his life who have inspired him as a business leader, right? So you think that they, we wrote all these questions for them about, um, you know, what makes a good leader? How do you take risks? And and we found during the conversation those were really incredibly boring, and 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 very much like anyone else would answer. And in between some of these questions, these two guys would talk, and they're like, "You remember the story you told me about when you were fourteen and you drove across the." The, the United States with a, with, a, with a case of Coke and, and you just basically had to get across the country in three or four days and you basically drove all the way across. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that story when you did, 
you know, you were doing donuts in your church parking lot and the, and the, and the minister came out and wanted to ride with you. And like, you know, like all these interesting stories they had, which ended up, so we ended up recutting the whole interview afterwards because we realized we were asking the wrong questions. Instead, we were asking them all these kind of generic business questions. But what really made these two interesting was the things that were younger in their life that gave them the passion and drive that they've kind of carried into their professional life. And that was fascinating. So we recut the whole thing. We retitled it. We, we actually you know, went back and re-recorded a couple of intros so it would make sense and kind of made it more, much more about passion than about business, even though there are tons of business lessons in it. So it's, it's like really ask yourself, what makes this person interesting? And uh, two other things I would say uh, is, number one, is a, there's a chapter in the book on interviewing, which can be summarized in one sentence. Don't pretend that you're interested in somebody. Ask the questions you are really interested in. What do you want to know? Not what do you think an interviewer asks this interview subject? What are the right questions? Or what are the cool questions? Or what would someone I admire, like what would Stephen Colbert or, or what would Lester Holt ask? Like, you know, no, forget that. What are you interested in knowing from this person? Because you just have to make the assumption that if you're interested in it, other people who follow your podcast are going to be interested in it. And for me, the litmus test that I use so often, I did it last night at my family dinner table. I am editing a, uh, we're a series of CNN, um, and we're doing an episode about daylight savings time. And it, like tons of data about daylight savings time. It's actually a crazy topic of, of everybody hates it, yet no one can figure out what to do with it. Um, uh, and so I kind of pitched at the dinner table. I kind of pitched what we were doing in the episode because we we're going to start editing this thing. And I just watched my family's reaction, my wife's reaction, who has who who's, who does not suffer any kind of polite interest in in our in our dinner table. It's like if this is boring, you know, people are going to start playing with their peas and, and pasta, right? They're not going to be um, pretending to be interested. And I was like watching her, like what did she gravitate towards? What were the things that interested her? And I do this with people all the time. I just tell them what I'm working on and I watch the way they react. And I learn so much about what's interesting because everything's interesting to me, but it's not necessarily gonna be interesting to somebody else. And so if I'm really focused on that audience, like what about daylight savings time is interesting to somebody else? I can see what they key in on. And then I got up this morning and I edited it as if I was pitching this to my wife, as if I was like, like and, and I think that is a really great inexpensive, like it doesn't cost anything unless you're buying coffee for somebody and you're doing this um, way to get to understand the story you're telling. Because you, when you hear the words roll out of your mouth, you will learn very quickly what's boring and what's not. You'll learn very quickly where they get bored and where they don't. And you, you have to do this to a truth teller who's going to be bored and not try to pretend that they're not. So those three things, I think if you do them, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Amazing. Yeah. So it's really about um, uh, having that story or basically identifying what the story of this person is and telling that story to other people. And depending on how they react, that that gives you a really good signal as to whether this might be interesting or not. I do this all the time, literally several days a week. Hmm. I like I'm starting off a call, you know, the little chit chat you have at the beginning of a phone call or beginning of a Zoom meeting. I'm like, I want to tell you something. I'm inter I'm talking to the most interesting person in three days. And they kind of pitch them a little bit of the story and you see what they, they feed back to you. Um, or where they seem to be politely interested rather than really interested. You know, like, you're, mm -hmm. you're kidding. They do that? Like, yeah, they do. And, and uh, 
And that is so informative because otherwise you're sitting there in front of a microphone. It's like this void in front of you of like, you're hoping that you can project out things that are interesting and focus on things that are interesting. And, but if you've got some like live focus groups you can do with your friends and family and colleagues, um, why not? Thank you, Eric. That's awesome. Thank you are you. welcome. Um, so I'm going to kind of pivot back and you briefly touched on this before, but we have a question from Kamiko James, and I think it's a great one. But her question was with so many influencers and famous people starting their own podcasts and getting these million dollar deals, uh, what can people who start out without those advantages do to keep up? That's a great question. And, and it's a subject of conversation, not just among independent newer podcasters, but a lot of my clients are big companies and they have the same problems, the same problems going back to Kate's problem about how do I create market at the same time. It's like, everybody's trying to figure this out. Right. And it's just such a changing space. I think I would not. So here's the deal with those million dollar deals or multi-million dollar deals and influencers and all this kind of stuff. So many of them, the actual place they occupy in the podcast space does not match the hype or the press coverage or the dollar figures that are being paid. The actual podcast comes out and nobody hears it or not many people listen. Or what really happens often, even with former presidents of the United States and big leaders and so on and so forth, is people listen to an episode or two and then they just kind of forget about it, right? And it's because a lot of these things um, are not being well, they're not being lovingly created. They're just like, Assuming that if I put a famous person in front of a microphone, the people are going to gravitate to that. That does happen for an episode or two, but then it kind of fades away. Rarely does it kind of work out. And when it does work out, they're kind of building a little network of, of, of influence around their podcast. A great example is Dak Shepard and uh, Armchair Expert, where there's a there's the armchairies or the people who listen to that podcast kind of formed a very tight-knit, very loyal group of listeners, but they're kind of like off on an island in the podcasting world. You know, there, there really aren't as many of them as you think there are, even though there are a lot. Um, and I think that uh, it's very easy to look at that and say, I can never be that, so should I even try? And I think that's understandable and ultimately very fixable because you are never going to out Dak Shepard, Jack Dak Shepard. You're never going to out Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. You're never going to out Esther Perel, Esther Perel. You are not going to be one of those famous people. Maybe if you are, and that's what you want to do, maybe you will be. I'm not saying, but let's assume you aren't. So does that mean you shouldn't do it? No. You should right size your expectations is what you should do. There are many people in podcasting, many thousands of people in podcasting that have figured out that it doesn't matter how many people listen, it's the right people listening. You can actually have a very small number of people listening, loyal supporters of your pro program and make things work. For example, there's a very famous article that was written or essay that was written several years ago talking about true, a thousand true fans, and which makes the argument about if you have a thousand true fans who will give you $100 each a year, um, that's $100,000. And so that's more the way you should be thinking is not necessarily on the financial side, but on the influence and loyalty side. Like where are, like to start, where are my first two or 300 people who are going to listen to everything that I put out? Because they exist in the world. I don't care who you are. They're there. So 
how do I build, how do I get to them and how do I build a relationship with them? And just worry about that. Don't worry about Dak Shepard and his $20 million check. Worry about how do I get two or 300 people who really like what I do? And then use those two or 300 people to help you build the next two or 300 people. Then you use those four or 600 people to build the next thousand people. And that's how you grow. That's, that's the only thing that's been true about podcasting from the first day to today is that that's how you build an audience is pretty much small steps at a time. And that loyal audience will help you. I mean, there's an example I use in the book that I don't even think I really fully understood or appreciated when I put it in the book, which was about a client I had once who had a podcast that had several thousand downloads and couldn't figure out how to kind of go to the next level. I'm like, why don't you ask your audience to help you? He's like, what do you mean? Like, why don't you just say, look, for this podcast to continue to grow, I need more listeners. Could you just tell one person about this podcast do you think would like it? Tweet about it, send them an email, text message, what Facebook posting, doesn't matter. Just tell one person. And I checked with him six weeks later and his downloads were up 35%. And he couldn't figure out why. I'm like, I, I know exactly why. Because you asked. He's like, that can't be. It can't be that I asked people to help me and they felt me help me. And uh, again, no, no, they, 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 they're loyal to you. They want to help you. They want you to succeed. And they, they want people to have the same experience with your podcast that they had. And so they do that evangelism and it works. So that's, uh, so your, your uh, Kamiko, your question, which is so important. It's, it's the, the short version is ignore what they do and think about what you need to do in order to build that kind of basis that you'll build from. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really helpful answer. I know a couple of people are saying so in the chat. Um, the next question we have, and he just joined, I think he's in here somewhere, it is from Brock Hendricks. Um, so Brock, uh, kind of getting more specifically into growing your podcast and monetization, Brock was uh, asking for some specific tips on pitching brands and partners. So if there's any specific language that you've found helpful or that you think that partners like to see um, or any value propositions? Um, I think, you know, one of the good things about podcasting generally is podcasts work when they solve a problem for a listener. That problem can be, I want to laugh. That problem could be, I want to learn more. That problem could be, I feel alone. Or a problem could be, I just want to know there are other people in the world who have the same experience that I do, or you know, all those type of things. And I don't think that is different when you're looking at the connection between podcasts, podcast supporters, and the audience that you create. Like, if you look at those three points on a spectrum, like what line can you draw between all three? What, what, what am I doing for the audience what am I doing for the brand that's sponsoring me? And what does that brand do for an audience? Like how, like I think about, think about it from a problem solving perspective and there may be a more fluid way for, to approach this. I'm literally kind of riffing off this off the top of my head. But when I talk to sponsors, which is not all that often, uh, it does happen sometimes. The pitch I'm trying to make is uh, the first question I, I ask is who are you trying to reach? Who is, who are you trying to, who's this campaign trying to reach or who in general do you think your audience is? Because most brands would be happy to tell you the elevator pitch on who they think they're speaking to. The next thing out of your mouth should be, let me tell you why I can talk, I can help you connect to those people. 
you know, um, if you're trying to reach, if, if I have a, a podcast for, 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 um, gen, uh, millennial and Gen Z, uh, mothers or people entering into motherhood from that, like, and that's who your audience is, like, that's who I'm speaking to. And let me tell you the problems I'm solving for them. And let me tell you how, how we together brand can solve problems for them that kind of can connect you to them in a meaningful way. And again, talk about how, um, you know, think of podcasting as a very active, engaged, loyal audience, which is true. It's true. It's an active choice. It's different than being on it. When you listen to the radio, you press the button and stuff comes out at you. It's, it's going to an entire room. It's not just going to you. It's like, you know, or to a car or wherever. But a podcast is so intentional. It is I want to listen to this thing at this moment. And usually I'm the only one who gets to hear it, right? And that's a very intimate connection. And you can talk about, there's lots of data out about the response rate of podcasting and how it's such a great medium for for brands and don't assume they know this. They may have heard that podcasting is a really exciting medium to advertise and reach an audience, but they may not know how it works or why. So you may need to do some of that basic sales. But again, it's like, what problem are you solving for them? Rather than if you if you get into the transactional space immediately of, I'm gonna charge you a $25 CPM and I do an average of this many downloads, which means that I'm basically gonna give you 60 seconds of time in my podcast and you're going to reach X number of people and you're going to pay me this. If that's where you're at in that transactional mode, you're going to lose. Because somebody else is going to come in and say, let me tell you how I can help you. Right? And I think that is, and talking about that loyal connection to the audience, those are the things that people register with. And, you know, one of the things I think is is risky, but very, it's, on one hand it's risky, and on the other hand it's extremely low risk, is if this is a brand that you want to have a, a relationship with, like, let's say you're doing that a young parenting podcast. This is a maker of organic um, uh, diaper care products, right? And you just don't want them to buy a spot or two. You want them to like have a year long relationship, or they write you a check and they're the exclusive sponsor for a year. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing. Sorry, I must press the button on my watch. Um, the uh, uh, and you want to have like a big relationship with them. Set up something where you can do some sort of test or trial. Or you can say, look, why don't you give me an offer code and I'll put it out for three weeks. Just, you know, that's it. You don't even have to pay me for it. I'll do it for two weeks. See what you get. And then see what happens. And then tell your audience, boy, it's really important that you you connect with this and that you help me. And the other part of that equation then too is also, it's not just what you say to the sponsor. It's what you say to the audience about the sponsor. You, I think it's much more effective, less focus on... Um, you saying everything the sponsor wants and giving this glowing endorsement for the for the um, uh, uh, sponsor. Uh, but when you say um, this company is supporting this podcast because they believe that mothers should be better informed and mothers should have more choices. And when you're supporting them, you're supporting me. Like that transcends the you know, I don't know how many socks or or various things I have around my house that I bought to support a podcast. And did I need socks? Maybe, probably. Ask my wife; she'd probably say I, I do need new socks. But I make that purchase because I believe in that podcast, and I can get something. It solves a problem for me. I get new socks, and it also goes to support them, which is important. And really working that angle too. So the so the so the sponsorship actually delivers for the sponsor and they're like whoa 
where do I sign? I'm giving really long answers. I hope I'm not boring you guys to death with this. No, I just had someone message me. They were like, I hope you're recording this. My hand is tired. I've been writing. So <laughs> everybody has uh, really been enjoying themselves. Everybody's quiet. Oh, good. That's good. I've been editing their day. This is the first time I've really spoken to other humans today. So I'm really, really happy to not be looking at a page and some, some interview cuts. So, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So for our next question, um, this individual uh, actually is not here. They had work today, but they did submit their question. This is from Jess Lorian. And Jess has a specific question. So I don't know, Eric, how much, because I think this is more of Kevin's signature part of the program, how much you know about TDE or targeted daily engagement um, that a lot of our students do. I can guess. I can guess what it is, but let's just go and see what we can help. Yeah, so pretty much TDE, uh, to put it in short, is mindful social media engagement. So uh, our students will go to watering holes that they specifically pick out where they identify that uh, people would be a great fit for their audience. And they uh, meaningfully engage with people in those watering holes. And then those people will usually end up clicking over to their profile. Maybe they'll be able to drop a mention of the podcast. And that's how a lot of our students are able to start to build an audience outside of people that know them already. Um, so something that Jess is having a little bit of trouble with is she says she's been really good at building a social media audience, but she's having trouble converting that audience into uh, downloads on her podcast. So she's like, you know, I'm doing all this social media engagement. And I'm really confident in my social media growth has been great, but she hasn't uh, been converting those into as many downloads as she'd like. First off, this TV concept sounds really bright. Um, it, it, it's it's a, just a different spin on what I think a lot of people suggest, which is, you know, basically how do you build an audience? You build them one listener at a time. And as odd as that sounds, the behavior you do to do that one-on-one -on -one interaction, that kind of guerrilla marketing, for lack of a better term, is is incredibly effective and it's contagious too. So. So I, I completely endorse that perspective. My first question I would have for her would be um, to look at what she's posting about the podcast that, and to see whether it's really like, hey, new episode of my podcast up today. Who cares? Right? Right. right? And my mom cares about that. Not many other people do. Um, but can you really turn that tweet or that post into something, you know, there's an old advertising saying that is sell the sizzle, not the steak. Sell the benefit, not the feature. So I have a new episode out today is kind of talking about a feature, a new episode. Or I have an interview with Matt and Allison. I'm just kind of brand new, but picked up two names. Um, uh, that's That doesn't tell you anything. On the other hand, like, um, would you like to know how five minutes a day can change your financial health in 10 years? Something mm -hmm. to do for five minutes a day. This episode has a trick that will teach you what you can do in five minutes every day that will make you a richer, wealthier person in 10 years, more financially stable. And that's like, well, that's interesting. Well, maybe I'll click on that. Pardon me. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Interrupt. I know someone in the chat said that her social media is really good um, and it's about the problem she solves. So would you say then maybe it would be more about how you specifically word it or specifically tease it? Or would you even suggest going to people's DMs? I know some people do that. I would have found some success with that as well. I experiment with everything and see, you know, there's, there's no, you know, there's no way to know except to try and fail and, and succeed. 
Um, a friend of mine recently uh, put out a video series and he got really upset because he's got a pretty significant TikTok following. He's like, I told him about the video series. Nobody went, to, nobody clicked through to, to, to go see it. Nobody. I'm like, well, how did you tell them? Like, I told them one time, 30 seconds. It was like a you know 30 second video one time. I'm like, okay. Do you know how often people have to hear a message in order to remember it in advertising? And it's 3.29 times, actually. That's like a scientifically proven fact. That's why uh, it, there's a whole, there's a whole um, lot of work has been done on message retention, how long a casual listener, how many times a casual listener has to hear something before they understand its value. That's why when you are looking at Instagram or whatever and you see an ad and you click through it and you immediately close it, and then you see that ad like a bunch more times, or why you never see an ad once, you see it like 40 times and then eventually you click on it. That's why. So I think it's, there's a whole bunch of reasons. It sounds like she does some posting really good stuff. Like maybe really good stuff isn't really good stuff. Maybe it is. It depends on who she's trying to reach and what action she's trying to put on. And um, I think that pretty much stuff. it's hard to generalize. So I'm giving some general, like what are the, the main uh, sins I see being committed in this space? And it's usually not really speaking to the benefits or it's not doing it um, frequently enough or um, regularly enough to to figure out um, uh, if it's working. And then, you know, with all this stuff, it's experiment and test and learn and see what works for you. Um, at NPR many years ago, we couldn't get people to click through. And then we started putting a picture. It was just a picture of something associated with the topic in the same tweet. And all of a sudden, the, the engagement exploded. Like, I don't you know, it didn't... It wasn't novel, but if we put in another picture, then it did. It's like, it's like, and the only way you figure this out is trying and learning. And there's very few universals. You kind of have to see what your audience is going to respond to. I think that's good advice. Definitely a lot of trial and error and just like tweaking those tiny little things. It sounds like can make a really big difference. On that note, I'm going to call on Rosie. She submitted a question and I'm going to have you ask your question just because I think um, it's more specific to your podcast. Um, so you'd probably best be able to explain that. Yes. Thanks, Katie. And thanks, Eric, for being here. And my question is super recent, so I do remember what it is. Um, so yeah, it is specifically about my podcast, which is about um, raising awareness on equity, diversity, and inclusion for businesses and employers. And it actually ties into everything that you've been saying, which has been gold, really, for me, um, because I've been trying to think of how to give the aha to people without being super obvious, right? So even when you were describing kind of the teasers of how to bring people in or how to get them to know what benefit they're going to get from the podcast, I've been, um, I think I've been maybe too um, kind of too obtuse or too um, subtle about it because I don't want it to be really obvious. Like, oh, if you didn't know this about racism, you're going to learn this about racism. Um, the concept of my podcast is about um, helping them realize that they had a perspective that they didn't know. And so it's a bit of a reveal. But now that I'm seeing it's really more of an educational podcast, which I didn't think it was at first, I'm trying to figure out what kind of format to do that wouldn't necessarily be, here's point one, two, and three. And let me recap, you learned point one, two, and three, like something that's a bit more engaging. So I wondered if you had suggestions for, um, I guess, something more educational where I really want them to take my points away, but I don't want it to be just 
in your face. Here's a really boring lecture on something. And, you know, now you've learned something. Here you go. There are two things. That's a great question. Thank you. I don't get to ask, ask that question very much because it's really about how you edit well. And, 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 and I look at editing as something that starts before recording. It's not something you do after the recording. So much good editing happens before the recording happens. And I am a huge fan of two tactics that I will share with you. I use them. I've used them. The edit I was doing today, I used on one of them. I talk so much to people or I edit things so often where people, you know, they've got this five minutes of setup, 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 and they've got this golden moment of tape. It's like the best tape. And the thing I tell them, Start with the best part. Start with your best tape. Start with the hottest thing. Like, whoa, really? Like that moment is um, like that will hook them because the hardest thing to do is to get someone's real attention, not to get them to listen. Because people don't listen as much as your podcast. It sounds great, and I and I wish you all the success because it's an important issue. But the truth is, even your fans are coming to it, and they need to get hooked in. You don't want people coming because they're getting an education. You don't want people coming in because they think it's the right thing to do. You want people to come in and get like immediately something that's like, I'm interested. What's that about? Right? So start with the best tape, then back up and explain. And the, um, uh, the reason that works is because you're kind of with the listener saying, this is here and, 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 um, they're thinking the rest of this is probably going to be interesting if this moment is interesting, you know, and they need all that context and set up to understand that moment. A great example. So uh, the same series we're doing in Daylight Savings Time for CNN, we're also talking, it's about data and how the data tells us about the world It's coming out next month. It's called Margins of Error. The host is uh, actually September. It's coming out. I keep thinking it's August. Um, uh, September is called Margins of Error with a guy named Harry Enton, who's a data guy on CNN. And, we did, we're doing one in daily savings time. We're doing another on cremation because the cremation rate in the United States has skyrocketed in the last generation. It's now overtaken burial. And by 2030, 80% of people will, be, will dispose of their body by, by cremation. So very interesting stat. And we start off with a funeral director. You don't even hear his name. The first thing you hear is this funeral director in, uh, from Seattle saying, you know, in our practice, nine, over 99% of people who walk in the door want to be, or their families want the body to be cremated. When I'm saying 99%, more than 99%, I'm saying that of a thousand uh, deaths, we'll have maybe five burials and all the rest are cremation. Like, you don't know who this guy is. You don't know what even the topic of the episode is unless you read the, the description or whatever. You just heard this guy say this overwhelming stat about cremation. You're like, I'm in. And then you back up and explain everything. I encourage lots of people in this attention-starved world to not make things mysterious. When you start your podcast episode, say, welcome. By the time this episode ends in 26 minutes, 35 minutes, an hour and a half, whatever it is, you're gonna know these five things. These are five things you're gonna know because you listened. And just stay up front, don't hold it back a mystery. Like, ooh, there's gonna be some really interesting things happening, or boy, yeah, boy, you should stay tuned because the, you're going to learn something. Just tell them what they're going to learn, right? We're going to, and it's not. It's a little bit more explicit than we're going to talk about these subjects. Is you'll walk away knowing these couple things, and if that doesn't catch them, then nothing's going to catch them in your lead-in. Um, uh, that helps so much, 
in kind of in kind of making those moments much more impactful because people like two things they like surprise like something they weren't expecting um and they like things to deliver on their expectations mm-hmm. one of the most damning things i hear of some of the people i work with we do listener testing where we give it to a couple hundred listeners and we ask them and the damning response is if they read a great description of a podcast they don't think the episodes deliver right we made them a promise and we didn't deliver on that promise and so what promises are you making up front and making sure you deliver on them is important. So I think we've had, um, cause that's great advice. And a couple of people I know in the chat are wondering, so it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of people start their podcasts with a, uh, clip from the show. So an interesting, like a cold open clip. Um, Jane, I know you asked this question if you want to speak to it a little bit further. Um, and I think she's just asking how that might play into it. Sure. Yeah, this is sort of an editing question, Eric. Um, But I've tried both approaches where um, I'll cold open with a teaser clip of the guest. And then I've tried another approach where I just begin with a narration and give a summary of what we talk about. Um, And I wonder if you um, if you, you know, have a preference for either or would suggest kind of either approach. I think my answer is uh, I try to avoid tropes as much as possible and formulas as much as possible. It's not the kind of formula I want, right? Like how an episode opens. I think an episode should open however it needs to open. You should give yourself that freedom. I, 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 so if you look at a lot of the things I do um, historically, Ted Radio Hour, Invisibilia, Far Flung with Ted, um, very few of them have a set format. The only thing I've worked on that has like a very clear formula is the Esther Perel series, Where Should We Begin? That, that if you listen to any episode, they follow the, the same things happen in kind of the same order. But outside of that, and most of the things I do, if you listen, like if you look at uh, the TED series I did last year called Far Flung, um, no two episodes open the same way. There's not the same structure. They don't follow the same format. It's because we define format not as a like, procedure of, of, of like an operating procedure, but as an experience, like, what do I want people to experience? Right. When the CNN series, I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm just saying, cause I was literally working on it before we joined the, the experience we're engineering for is we're going to introduce you to a stat, which has been out there in the world. It's not like we've uncovered anything new. And we're going to show you how that little inconsequential stat tells us tons of stuff about our world whether it's the car color you select, what it tells about you, or that daylight savings time is something that everybody hates but will never change because no one can agree what to do about it, or the change in cremation versus burial, or the, the, our, our, our rigid non-acceptance of age gap relationships, even though we're more accepting of other different types of relationships. You know, all these things, it's like you are gonna be introduced to the stat, you're gonna be kind of amazed at the stat, that it is what it is. It's a stronger case than this. And then we'll tell you what it means. But if we finish six episodes and none of them share anything in common as far as how they open, um, some it's, it's the host and a buddy talking about the subject. Sometimes it's all him in the interviews. Sometimes we're out in the field, literally traveling out in the world and you hear sound in the world. And sometimes it's all in the studio. None of that stuff. We, we don't worry about making that rigid. We make it like, what are the experience we're trying to create? What best does that? So if you're talking about 
a podcast about DEI issues or representation or inclusion, for example, as our, as our friend did, um, uh, you know, uh, what is the right way to get someone in the headspace you want them to, right? And that is, you have to get what I call, I'll, I'll, I often refer to as real attention. Someone pr presses play and they're, out there and they're not really paying attention, but what can you do to get them to be like, that's what they're thinking about at that time? Because once you got someone's attention, you've surprised them or given something they, that's better than they were expecting, their mind is temporarily open. And you can kind of get in there and create memories and ideas and infuse things. Like, that's the point. How do we get their mind temporarily, like, fully open, right? And the answer will be different for almost every episode you do. Our next question uh, is from Ellen Newhouse. And her question is all about, it seems, prioritization. So she's a newbie. She's loving her podcast. Um, and obviously, you know, priority number one is putting out great content. But after that, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ellen, you're kind of wondering how should you prioritize your time? So like content is number one. Uh, your podcast is pretty new. What are the other parts of being a podcaster and having a podcast business that she should be focused on? Yeah. Hi, Eric. So I'll just say a little bit more about that is that I came to podcasting completely um, for a different reason. I, my show had been canceled because of COVID um, in New York, and um, I needed something creative. I was desperate, and I'm also a healer, so I, I kind of am in two realms. And now I'm like, oh, shit, I really want to grow this thing, and I really want to um, monetize it, but I'm like, Oh, I, I, you know, so I have been just focusing on the interviews and making them really exciting and fun. So what would you say um, would be the top two things? Because I'm a little overwhelmed. Well, your excitement is great because you have to have passion. You have to have enough passion that you would do it for free. And it certainly sounds like you do. You don't want to do it for free, but has to be, you have to be enough passion about that. I do this for fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, and the joy it brings me. So I would say there's two things. Any t period of time you put into your production, mm -hmm. preparing yourself better, um, uh, editing better, kind of making it, raising the expectations for you as a producer and host and for the conversations that you hold. Any any minute you put into that pays off. Okay. Any minute you pay for that. Um, and secondly, so in, in life in general, and I think this is the only reason I've survived for three years, including through a pandemic running my own company, um, is I compartmentalize things. I'm like, do I need to worry about this today or is this a tomorrow problem, mm -hmm. right? Or is this a next week problem or next month problem? And uh, so I'm really good. I've just grown very good at focusing on the most important things. And, I, and, and, and I've learned how to prioritize and pick what's the most important thing. Mm. And so one of the, the reasons this applies to what you're asking is, um, I think that if you have a second thing you have time for and headspace for, it is building building that audience, one person at a time, one group of people at a time, one opportunity at a time. Just build and build and build because everything else requires that to be working, those two things to be working. You have to have good content and it continually pushing yourself forward to be better. Uh, and the second thing is that audience. Well, I tell you, you know, uh, there was a guy who was uh, a C, this, one of the CEOs I worked under at NPR mm -hmm. um, that said, nothing solves a problem like a hit. And um, that boy, is he, was he right? That if you've got that 
audience and you're building that audience, questions about monetization, how do I build like a subscription business? How do I you know, do events or all this stuff? All those things become easier when you've got an audience. And, and I see that play out in my life every day. When you see those down numbers go up, or download numbers go up, opportunities start to happen. You know, you start things start to come in, come come into focus for you. It's like you know, it makes it really clear. You've got an audience that you can feed back on uh, with to kind of help you grow and give you encouragement and uh, give you advice and guidance. You can survey your audience to see what they really think. You know, like those I think everything. So every minute you're putting into building that audience, I think is the second thing. You don't have the time to deal with the monetization or <laughs> or surveying your audience of where where the hour is going to come to do that. Like worry about that's a tomorrow problem. That's next week, next month problem, right? It's it's today's problem is building that audience because all those other problems don't get solved unless you have that audience relationship. Well, that is doing beautifully. I mean, I mean, really. Yeah. Just like it's blowing my mind. And I mean, I came into this with no expectations. So it's been amazing. One other question I have for you based on something you said, which was you said the average listener needs 3.29. Yeah. So with that said, I have a pretty built in audience from my Facebook group. Um, mm -hmm. Really nice following. And I've been out healing. I've been in private practice for 32 years. So people want to know what I think. And, and anyway, um, I'm shy, though, on social media, I'm shy to say 3 million times, Hi, you know, I have this podcast. So would you do it three different ways? Because what I do basically is each show is a theme about healing. So it's like, um, about grief, or it's about um, uh, healing uh, your broken heart or healing, whatever. It's it's all about healing. Um, so would you say for my show about um, grief that I just did, would you post three different times um, and would you do it like like three different days ahead of the, the show? So my show comes out on Tuesday. So would you do it leading up three different times? No. What would you do? I would do three different. So I would, I would. So first off, I think it starts much earlier than that. I think when you book the guest and you're deciding to do a conversation about grief, okay. Okay. You, say, you say to your audience, hey, I'm going to be doing this conversation about grief in a couple of weeks. Do you have questions or things you want me to talk about or cover? And, right. and when people respond, say, that's excellent. And I'm really glad. Thank you very much for doing that. And when you record the episode, you say, hey, you know what, guest, um, you know, uh, Belinda uh, 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 gave me this question. Um, we, we talked to each other on Twitter and she really wanted me to ask you about X and you get the response. Oh, so and then you, then you say to, to, to Belinda, hey, you know what, I asked you a question. It's gonna be in on Thursday's Thursday show. And then you never promote something that someone can't immediately click through to. So if you're don't don't promote it in the days leading up to the episode. If it, the episode comes out on a Tuesday, start on Tuesday so that's an immediate reaction. There is no advantage to forward promotion whatsoever, right? I would say that once you've released it, think of three different like amazing quotes, like some of those power moments we were talking about earlier. Like like that really is just an amazing clip or quote. Like you should be tweeting out that quote. Okay. And saying or having, you know, 
making a little, uh, you know, for, for one of those little tiles that has the quote in it, like a quote tile, um, like make one of those for it and, and post that and say, I've got a new episode up about grief. You wouldn't believe what else there is to hear in this conversation. And you've shared that bit. And three of those is not going to feel like three times. Right okay. to your audience. If you put it the same thing three times, people are going to get annoyed and stop. Yeah, following. yeah, no, of course. But if yeah. you put it three different things about it that work, so it's it's a cycle and a continuum of. So you're doing all this, and then you're also let's say you're doing that thing about heartbreak. Well, while you're promoting the grief episode, you're you're asking for questions about heartbreak. Like, what do you want to know? And you're quoting them back in the recording. You're just creating a cycle. Oh, I love. Believe this. me, oh, and Belinda and Belinda who hears her who you hears from you again saying i got an answer to your question it's in tuesday's show the belinda's gonna send out to her friends like hey man i asked a question this podcast and you know another thing we're, we're doing um with a couple series we've done in the past a, a, a real basic trick is to set up like the google voice number where people can call and leave you a message and say if you have a question about grief call this number and ask your question and then in the actual recording, you can play back the people's voices asking the question. Oh my God. Belinda, she has a question. And then you play that back. Again, this costs nothing. It's not that much work to do, but you do that. And then you tell Belinda, hey, Belinda, you are in this podcast episode. And Belinda's saying it out to everyone she knows, hey, listen, I'm in this podcast episode. And you basically have found a way to get some free marketing to expand your. You are now. brilliant. Can I put you in my back pocket, please? please. <laughs> I know some comments in the chat about consistency. Assume consistency with format is important. Consistency with format is not important. Consistency of experience is important. It's incredibly important to figure out what you deliver and deliver on that time and time and time again. Radiolab has no format, no consistency. This American Life has a shell of a format. But, and that's consistency, but what happens in each of those parts change. So please don't misunderstand what I said, folks. Um, be cons incredibly consistent, but do it on the right things and let go of the things that don't matter. I think everybody's minds are blown a little bit. So we have two more um, pre-submitted questions. And then after that, I think uh, if anybody else has questions, I'll just have them raise their hand. Um, mm -hmm. We can go from there. So the first of our pre-submitted questions uh, is from Mari. I keep saying the first, I really mean the next. Um, and if you want to ask the question, Mari, I know you said you wanted to speak up. <laughs> okay. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for the book. I really enjoy it. Um, I have a podcast that's episodic. It's called uh, Check Your Head, Mental Help for Musicians. So we have musicians and experts come and share their mental health solutions for wellness. So let's say I have Gilby Clark of Guns N' Roses come on the podcast. Uh, I believe that I'm attracting a lot of his fans. And so according to, you know, to each episode, I might be attracting fans of the artist, but I want to be able to retain those fans to continue on to the other episodes. So I know like when I think of my favorite talk show hosts, I think of like sometimes they put in their own personal story or there's like an ongoing narrative from the host or something like to create an ongoing narrative, you know, so that people come back. 
I mean, what do you think of that? Or what are your thoughts on that? So I have some thoughts, which I'm constructing my head as I'm speaking now. <laughs> so uh, I think um, the question I'm asking myself is what do you um, want them, what do you want them to like about this that they prompts them to come back? And um, uh, you are one vehicle for that. But I think there might be, it depends on, you know, um, like if you have, do you have a lot of well-known people on it or is it, uh, is it kind of a mixture? Well, it's a mixture of up and coming artists and also like household names. Like I was able to get Fred Armisen on, who's a drummer, but also, you know, mm -hmm. comedian with Portlandia and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we just had Jesse Leach of Kill Switch Engage, which is a big uh, band, a metalcore band. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, we have up and coming artists like Winona Oak that most people haven't heard of that has a great story that I think has a lot of potential. And I do think like I have a certain interview style that people like and people have said that, Mari, you know, your voice is so soothing. I really enjoy listening to you. But I'm just wondering, you know, part of me is like, I'm not sure if I want to put a personal narrative out there, like talk about my own mental health challenges or, you know, ask the audience, you know, what do you think about this? What do you, you know, what kind of solutions do you have? And then maybe the next uh, episode, you know, talk about how I resolve that. I mean, that was one idea, but part of me is like, do I want to put that personal information out? Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and tell me the subject of these discussions. Like, what are you talking to them about? Just their, well, their music, or or is it like, or, or mental health, or what is it? What are you What are you discussing with them? Well, it's more on mental health. Like, they'll talk about um, panic attack or PTSD or depression, and they're kind of to me they're like inspiring harrowing stories where they find their solutions we talk about you know what did you do was it therapy was it medication was it meditation was it you know i mean there's so many different solutions for mental health and then i usually have an an expert in that field let's say we talk about ocd i have an expert on ocd talk about you know their ideas for for resolution and for recovery so so yeah, it's all about off, solutions for recovery you know it, first off it sounds like a great podcast so good for you right so you're forming a community with that podcast of people who care about these issues because they're experiencing it themselves or someone they love and care about is experiencing it right and so embrace that role as the, the curator of that community. And, and thank you for doing that. I think it's important. There are people who need to hear those stories and, and, and bless you for doing it. So good for you. So the consistent thing they're coming back for, the thing that unites that community is the reinforcement. They're like, it's gonna be okay. You know, um, uh, if it's not okay now, I know it will be because here are these inspirational people who've been through sometimes worse than I have and look, they've gone on to do great things or are amazing people or inspiring stories, right? And so that to me is, is that's the thing that people come back for. And 
I don't think that requires you to 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 reveal a lot of yourself personally. I don't think you need to to show a lot of yourself. The part you do need to be uh, open about and 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 advocate for is uh, your enthusiasm for them, your inspiration, your um, uh, how impressed you are, how moved you are, just being human around them. Right? That doesn't require you. You could never, I think you could be a great host for your podcast and never tell your own story. Hmm. Right? Okay. Because that's, you know, people are coming to you because they want to hear someone like a great pitch for your show from what I've understood of it. And it may be more subtle than what I'm about to say is hear stories from people you've heard of or will hear of in the future about how they have coped with, with, with mental health. Right, challenges and struggles, how they've kind of you, you persevered, and if that's the case, then you are really kind of connecting people to inspiration, to hope, to um, uh, to just the feeling of not I'm not alone. You know, you look at like if you watch the musical uh, Dear Evan Hansen, if you see that on Broadway, the opening scene, two parents in two different houses both of them struggling with teenage kids they are having problems and they don't know what to do with them. And they're singing, does anybody have a map? Does anybody have a map, right? And it's very moving in that sense because many parents look at their kids who are experiencing mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, or acting out, whatever. And they don't, they feel alone. They feel like my kid's broken, like I screwed up as a parent. And there's so much stigma around it, they can't ask for help, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is you're pursuing people Here's, I don't have your map, but here's somebody else's map. And they're okay, which means you can be okay, or your loved one is okay. They're okay, which means, and they're cool, and they're doing great work that we all admire, so it's gonna be okay. And, and I, so I think that's really, that's the deliverable you're doing. So I, I, I think, and, and as much as you can subtly tell people that, mm -hmm. um, in expressing how you as a host present it, how you describe the podcast, how you describe it to people, even even the episode data, like what are you telling people? Um, that's what they're going to come back for. Mm. Is that? I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank you so much, Eric, and thank you for actually capturing what I'm trying to do with the podcast with your words. Because sometimes okay. I wonder, you know, if people get it, but I feel like you really get it. So thank you. Well, you know what? Again. Perfect example. All right. This is from Shauna Davis, who I do not think was able to make this chat. Um, so Shauna Davis's podcast is the BS we feed ourselves. And it's about um, autoimmune and burnout issues compounded by the crazy standards that we're all are all kind of being pushed on us. The crazy, um, you know, boss, babe, workaholic standards. So she writes here, um, she's been recording these episodes and she's trying to figure out, do I group them by topic? Do I do one season on one topic? You know, that's going to take up a bunch of brain space though. If I do that, and I just want to get these episodes out. Um, so do I take the extra time to really carefully curate them or it doesn't matter? Um, so it sounds like she has a bunch of episodes recorded and she's trying to figure out how to structure those episodes and if it would be worth the time to um, really, really carefully curate them. Uh, I think that someone who's in that position 
uh, creating that podcast, uh, my first inclination is even if you have 10 or 20 followers, uh, uh, why not ask them? Like, like when you come into this, like what would make this easier to enjoy? And, and say it in an episode, like open it up. So like, folks, I have a question for you. We'll get to the guest in a minute or the conversation in a minute, but I just really, I'm, I'm struggling with how best to present this stuff to you and to kind of have the conversation that we all want to have together. And so how can I, you know, what, what's your advice for me? Here's a Twitter handle or an email you can send to, and just let me know your thoughts on this one or two questions. And then that's it. I mean, like you can take 30, 45 seconds to say that and people will respond. And if they don't, that also tells you something, but uh, uh, they will respond and they may give you a lot of feedback that you could find very useful. As you can tell from this conversation, I'm really into not into breaking down mysteries with an audience and just asking them what their thoughts are, what their impressions are and how they can, you can help grow it. I think that uh, your audience is your, it doesn't matter if you have an audience of 20 people or 20,000, um, they're the most important asset you have. And uh, so how can you utilize them and use them better? And so nobody, you know, outside of you, nobody knows your content better than the people who actually listen to it and seek it out. So you may want to just have that conversation with them. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I know on the last coaching call, we talked a lot about how she is kind of uh, feeling stuck and how anxiety can sometimes be the enemy of actually getting the thing done. Um, and we did set, I know we worked with her to set a date on no matter what, you're going to have to just publish your podcast by this, this date. Um, we're all going to work to keep her accountable. So I, I, I am also, advice. yeah, that's great advice you gave her and great, and great to give you that, that. That's what great coaches do is they give people structure and they kind of give people options. You know, I always tell people I'm less concerned about doing specific things. Than I am in understanding options and then discussing them. And I also, I'm not a big fan of overthinking things. I have never, I even mentioned this in the book, I've never felt I've ever finished anything like perfectly. It's never done. I can always sit there and work on it for another hour or two hours, or I can sweeten the segue or, or swap out this music or make this 30 seconds down to 27 seconds or whatever, right? Um, it's never done. There's like a quote I have in the book, which I, I think describes my feeling on this very well, which is um, a quote about poetry that said a poet is poem is never finished, it is just abandoned. And I think podcast episodes are the same thing. You just at some point have, whether it's a deadline or just realizing that you will never look at this and say, wow, it's perfect. If, it, if you do, your expectations are too low, right? If you think, wow, I nailed it, then, then you know what, you're wrong. You didn't nail it. Um, uh, uh, it's always a struggle to kind of push yourself forward. And if you embrace that, then all of a sudden, you give yourself permission to let go of some of that anxiety because you're giving yourself permission to um, uh, to to fail. To and failure is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you don't want failure in a heart surgeon or a, an airline pilot, but but in a podcast producer, you certainly can try things and fail. I think the root of anxiety is assuming that the worst thing is going to happen all the time, and that never is the case. So if you prove to yourself by experience that I put something out and the worst thing that happens is that not as many people listen to this episode, you know, so that's an important bit of freedom to give yourself. Yeah, that's, that reminds me of some great advice I got once, which is, um, and I think a lot of creatives sort of struggle with the same issue of, of you know, and nothing is ever going to be perfect. But some great advice I got once was think of the worst thing that's going to happen and then think of the very best thing that's going to happen. And what actually is going to happen is probably going to fall right in the middle of that. 
<laughs> maybe leaning to one side or the other, but um, it's usually never going to be either of those things. That's true. Um, but on that note, we have one anonymous question. This anonymous question is from someone who just started their podcast. So they have about a hundred downloads right now. They're feeling good, but they're really just beginning their podcasting journey. So they were wondering if you had any top tips for them or tips on monetizing their podcast or preparing their podcast for monetization, even though it's still in its infancy. So for the person who's, who's new and has a hundred downloads, right? Yes. Um, realize that every single podcast in the world has been at the point you're at. That's the first thing to give yourself, realize that even like something huge was at one point, something with a hundred downloads. It may have been for just a couple of minutes, but minutes, but that everything and most podcasts start off slow. Podcasting really, even though you hear stories of people being, you know, getting on the charts the first week that they're out. The, the truth is that podcasting is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you build over time. It's just the way it is. And it may happen fast or slow, but you build over time. And so what you always want to do is when you, like if you're looking at your statistics and you zoom out, so you have the view of like the year or whatever, rather than the week or the month or, 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 or what have you, is that you see growth. You see that trajectory happening. And you can always increase the, the trajectory of that growth happening. So I think it's embracing that mindset that this is a marathon, not a sprint, and that it's never the work is never done. When it comes to marketing or growing your podcast, it's never work is never finished. Right? It's always happening. Um, but uh, if someone had a hundred downloads, which means they're starting to get some people to listen to them who they probably don't know, um, uh, I, I would lean into where can I find people, where can I find allies at that stage. Like allies are people who care about the same issue, who may or may not be my friends. It could be people I know on a Reddit forum. It could be people who are Facebook friends. It could be my real life friends, right? But we have this thing in common. And I, I, I think that, you know, um, uh, work is always better when it's done in some sense of collaboration. And so much podcasting can be so lonely and isolating and alone that you can you can change that by bringing in allies and like kind of uh, a kitchen cabinet, a, a group of people who can, can be your friend and will listen to things and give you feedback early on. Because the more feedback you get from people, the faster you're going to grow. If you're just expecting yourself, and this is true when you're starting, and to be honest, it's true years later if, you're work, if you've been very successful. Um, the more you are getting feedback, the more input you get, the faster you're going to grow. And so sometimes that stuff comes to you naturally. Sometimes you have to go out and find it. And so if I was at the stage of I was starting something at 100 downloads, I would realize the only way I'm going to get to 300 downloads is when I start to reach out and recruit people. I was a broadcaster or worked in broadcast radio before I became a podcaster. And I was always amazed how the DJs um, in, in radio stations can speak to half a million people behind a microphone. Um, but didn't like to go out and meet people in person. <laughs> didn't like to go to events or whatever. They're very awkward and uncomfortable doing that. And um, uh, uh, and, and in podcasting, but they can still get away with it because podcasting is like, or excuse me, broadcast is one to many. And, and podcasting really is one to one done many, many times over. And if you embrace that social element of podcasting, it's much easier. And the th thing is, even if it's awkward, it's, you benefit from it. You grow faster. You're better at what you do. You have a more solid foundation underneath you. Just there's no downside to it. That was a very long answer to that question. Sorry. 
No, I think it's really helpful. And I think, um, I know I, I help Kevin out and even working with him, it can be a lonely time if you're not sitting in an office with somebody that you can, yeah. you know, go and say, Hey, take a look at this for me really quickly. Um, we all learned to live with this during the pandemic. Many of us have. Oh yeah. Uh, no, but, the, but the truth is that but podcasting, even when you have an audience of millions can be a very lonely experience. So just don't accept that. Don't, don't accept that reality. Say, I'm going to bring it. Even if I have two or three people who are, Kind of my crew on producing this podcast they're going to listen to things they're going to talk to me about things i'll thank them in the episodes they'll be part of it um that crew helps you grow much faster so that's why i'd be focusing on building that absolutely all right so now we have a couple of people who did not submit questions ahead of time but they have their hands raised and i believe the first person in line is natalie yeah hey eric thanks so much Hi. for being here sure so my question is right off of what you were just talking about, and you've mentioned it a few times now, like building that community right from the very beginning, um, so people to collaborate with, and then also just your your listeners, right, whoever's following you and starting to build that. What do you recommend for build, like actually building that community? Oh, uh, as far as like like building the community, the larger community, not like your kitchen cabinet, but the, like a larger group of people. Well, yeah, I guess let me be more specific. Yeah, um, you know, so you have if you're someone who's brand new, 100 downloads, right, and that doesn't have a name attached to it, you just see the number 100. How do you start to figure out who those people are and pull them into a community? You know, I know some people do like Facebook groups or um, something like that, or even like a Instagram profile for your podcast. So you can know, know who the numbers are behind the know who the names are behind the numbers, right? That's right. kind of what I'm asking. So, uh, so, so that's a great question. Thank you for that. Um, I, I would just imagine the community you want to have and start building out the components of that. Like if you said, oh, if I was really successful, I wasn't at 100, but I was at, let's say, 5,000 downloads an episode, yeah. which is not a crazy number. Um, so what would I have then? What would I have at 5,000? Well, I'd probably have an Instagram handle. I'd probably have a Facebook group. Um, there's an interesting article in the New York Times about a year ago of of podcasts that did not set up Facebook groups, the fans created their own because there's always this, you know, without the creator being involved in it because the creator wasn't doing it and they wanted mm -hmm. to talk to each other. I mean, you know, it used to be dating profiles you put in the bands you like, and now it's you put in the podcasts you listen to, and right. and not that I'm dating, but the, that's what I'm told. The, the and because it's such a marker of who you are. So uh -huh. if you had that community of 5,000, what elements would you have and what of those elements could you put into place now? A Facebook group yeah. that you're curating and then talk about it in the, in the, don't just expect people to find it and don't do a, hey, check out my page on Facebook. Like if you'd like to have a conversation with me in between episodes or with each other, go to this Facebook group because again, you're selling the benefit of doing so. You're not worrying about, you know, just like, hey, follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Why? Who cares? Right? Yeah. But if you if you give reasons why there's benefits to that, people will start to show up. And uh, and and I think that's the way you do it. You know, whether it's a Twitter handle, then you you which you shout out to, or and but then give them a reason to do it. Don't just say follow me on Twitter, which everybody does, and it's a waste of every every syllable of energy and breath that went into it is a waste, right? But if you say 
I'm having an upcoming episode on X. And if you reach out to DM, my DMs are open on Twitter. So if you reach out to me on Twitter at this handle, I'll include your question. That's mm-hmm. a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so make it meaningful engagement, not just like, hey, come check me out. Like, why? There's no, no reason for me to expend any energy doing that at all. Um, right. And I would focus it. I wouldn't like promote six things at once. I'd promote one thing and do it like six or eight times and then stop and do another thing and six or eight times to see why you could build that. But so I guess a, a good frame of reference is imagine what you would be like when you're bigger and, and start putting those elements into place and start talking about them as if they have meaning now and, 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 and build that meaning, build that into reality, make it real. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Good. Very much. And next up we have Nikita. Thanks. Hi, Eric. You keep apologizing Hi. for your long answers, but there's no need. Everything you're saying is pure gold. So I well, want to follow- kind of you to say thank you. <laughs> so I want to follow up. I had two questions based on things you were saying. So one thing you said earlier was about audience engagement. Ask the audience what they want. And we know that likely if they're going to respond, they need some sort of carrot if they're going to take the time to tell us. Do you have any preferred carrots, carrots that often work better than others? Like what tips do you normally use to get your audience to engage with you? Uh, That's question one. And then my second question had to do with show notes in terms Mm -hmm. of are there key things to include? Is there some sort of like magic length? And how, if at all, should they differ from that little summary that we put in our, you know, podcast distributor? Mm -hmm. So those are my two questions. Show notes. And the first one is, remind me again. Carrots for the audience. How you actually get them to reply. So so the carrots better than others. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, we've talked about a couple of them in this conversation about thinking about the benefits, what they're getting out of it. Um, and I think that goes really far in um, uh, uh, think about what problem you're solving, what things you can do for them and um, and speak to that. That's the carrot. It's not like, you know, you, we often have conversations about training an audience and that doesn't, that's not meant as a pejorative thing. But how, do you, how can you train your audience to behave the way you want them to do by giving them examples and permission to do things? And I have seen people who have tried to engage audiences by offering prizes, like the first 10 people who do this will get you know, a copy of this book or will get a free code or these type of things. And for advertisers that works, I don't think it works very well for content creators because you're training the audience with the wrong uh, measures, the wrong incentives. Uh, if an incentive, that they might want is that they can ask a question of somebody interesting. Um, that's a great carrot. Um, if uh, there's extra material that's like, you know, like you want to hear this, this part of this conversation we didn't include, if that's a little bit of a carrot. So, you know, I think about what do they want? What do you have that they want? It's really worth kind of going out of their way, flipping the screen over to Twitter or, Twitter or, or Instagram or, or TikTok or whatever to see something or whatever. Or, or experience something. If you're talking, I remember one time, oh, what was it? Uh, at one of the largest, well, I was in NPR, one of the largest traffic, I remember it now, what, there was a piece on All Things Considered, which is obviously a broadcast program that um, was about a painting that had been stolen and found again. And it hadn't been seen or photographed in decades. So some of the photographs weren't that great. 
And the person on air said, you can see the painting by going to npr.org. And it, for like the next two years, there was nothing that got more traffic than just going to see the painting they had spent four minutes talking about. And that, what a carrot, right? It's something, it does, so it doesn't have to be huge. It just was like, you know, satisfying a curiosity is one. Um, a way to participate and engage is another. Um, and uh, all, all those kind of things, like what's really in it for them? What do I have that they would like to have? And sharing that in that way, that's, uh, you know, if you, you know, a, a real common one you hear overused is um, uh, not, it doesn't sound like a minute of your podcast, but some other podcasts are like, oh, did you see that video of the skateboarding bulldog, right? Oh, isn't that funny? And you talk about it. And they're like, well, there's a link to it in my Instagram. And like, you know, yeah, like, like, just like we're talking about something, you can see it when you do it, which sounds an awful lot like the NPR example, but it's it's sugar. It doesn't really have a lot of substance or depth to it. It really isn't connected to why people are there. So they might go and look about it, but they're not going to come back. You know, um, so I think I would focus on the things you have that really kind of are, are what they want and will encourage them to not just go and see it, but to follow you as well. I hope that helps. And then show notes. Um, I will say that uh, there's a great daily podcast newsletter called Pod News. And a guy who does it, James Cridland, who's a fantastic guy, um, also writes lots of little articles and interesting things um, that are not in it. Is, is, is the great thing about Pod News is it takes about three minutes to read. So you can scan through it and find out what's going on in podcasting. Uh, he did an article a couple weeks ago about show notes where he actually looked at every single podcast platform and found out how they handle show notes. So like, 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 do they, do they use it in search? Do they even pick up the show note data? Do like, what happens to the links? Like some providers take out all the links. And so um, go search that article, podnews.net, I think it is, and uh, look for show notes. Just search for show notes and you'll find that article and read it. And that's a great, great first step. Thank you for that. I felt like your response to my audience question was kind of heartfelt. And so I don't have to be Oprah and you get a car and you get a car to talk to me. And I, I just kind of need to think a little bit more about who the person is and, yeah, it's and what might tug in their heart to make them speak to me. Yeah. I, when I was on radio a couple of times. We tried to do that where we incentivize people to do the right thing. Like for example, when I was in radio, um, I worked at a station that was NPR news station and did classical music. And we, um, we did a, a, an event once, which was kind of like taking, uh, which is for the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation. And so basically the Mr. Holland Opus Foundation takes unused instruments and provides them to kids in need who want to learn to play those instruments. They take old trumpets and violins and whatever thing and, and give them kids so they can learn. And we said, you know, if you give this instrument, it goes to a kid in need and we'll register you for like this amazing weekend experience of seeing the Cleveland Orchestra, like, you know, and dinner and blah, 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 blah. And we realized we didn't need to do that. The people were so jazzed to have some a way to get rid of their old instruments that they didn't need the, the person who won the weekend thing didn't even take it, right? Because the benefit to them was, wow, I can help somebody and get rid of something I don't need anymore at the same time. So it's just like, we're really cognizant about what you can do that people actually, what makes them feel good.
That's amazing. Thank you. I think some great insight. But next we have uh, Julian with his hand raised. Awesome. What's up? So um, in earlier, Eric, you had mentioned to Ellen, you gave her great advice uh, for her podcast where she talks about grief and different things like that. And getting the audience involved, I think, was a really smart tip to give. So I'm curious how you would, uh, what advice you would give for the interview format, right? Like I bring guests on, but there's kind of this curiosity and anonymous element you want to have for guests until you bring them on. Well, I don't know if that's a correct notion, firstly, but how could you get your audience involved or engage them further for a guest, given that, you know, you maybe don't want to reveal their name or who they are yet in order to have suspense. So what's the advantage of having suspense? It's a good question. I think it just keeps them curious. Like they're like, um, I don't know, it might ruin the surprise whenever the episode is released. It's like, oh, okay, I already knew who this was. Maybe it's less exciting when it's actually announced. But I, but I can also see like, oh, I know who this is. I'm, I'm looking forward to it more. I can kind of see both sides. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, where the trade-offs weigh off in, in what direction they lean more on. So I made a point earlier about how the problems and challenges that independent podcasters face are not that much different than big companies. Have you ever heard of Fresh Air or a podcaster named Terry Gross before? Have you ever heard of that before? It's Philly-based. Uh, yeah. It's Philly-based, right? And I don't know if you are. Um, so Terry Gross is probably regarded as being the best interviewer in the country. And, pod, mm. and, and Fresh Air is a podcast that's downloaded literally millions of times a day. And mm. And she is like right up there with like Oprah and Howard Stern, considered the best broadcast interviewer there is. And I worked with her and her team in Philadelphia WHYY um, for a number of years when I was working at NPR. And 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 and, and Julian, they 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 had the same argument you did about we want to maintain some mystery, we want to maintain some surprise. And I'm like, would you please just tell people what's happening tomorrow in the body of the show? Could you say today is Wednesday, and tomorrow we're talking to Barbara Streisand? Like, great. Who, that's big news. She doesn't give a lot of interviews and you're talking to her or I'm talking to the president of the United States or I'm talking to, you know, this very important person or I, I'm going to repeat an interview I did with this person who just died. It's like, you know, they wanted to be like people turn on the radio and, oh, my goodness, there's a president of the United States. And that is not untrue. Hmm. That effect is real. But it's this big compared to the number of people who will come and listen because you told them what's happening in advance and the number of people you can't see because it's outside of the range of what I'm able to see, whose impression of what you do goes up because they understand what you're trying to do. And the likelihood that they're going to come sample you or come try you are so much larger. So do you lose some mystery? 100% yes for a handful of people. But for most people, most days, most of the time, that, that mystery is lost on them because they don't know what's happening. You can't have mystery about something that you're not hearing. So if the mystery is really small and the benefit of talking about it is, is, is uh, as much as you can and many opportunities you can is much bigger, then you have much more opportunity when you're looking at the idea of, you know, tomorrow I'm gonna to be interviewing this person. I'd love to hear your questions. Now, mm -hmm. here's the truth. 
most of the questions you get aren't going to be as good as your questions, or you may already have those questions. But let's say you have, you know, what color was your first car is a list of list on your list of questions, right? <laughs> and let's say Bob, Bob on Twitter writes you and says, oh, ask him about his first car, what color it was. Even though you already have that question down, write in that it comes from Bob, who's on Twitter, and say it in your show. And, and Bob will be an even more loyal, enthusiastic follower. He'll be so impressed uh, that he was able to connect to you and connect to the guest. Um, and again, his question answered that, you know, that's where the magic happens. Of the, that's, a, that's a real gesture you're doing. It's not, you're not faking it, right? And that has so much more power than you're sacrificing for the few people who have that sense of mystery. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting. I guess I, I had a mini breakthrough in that there's so many things other podcasters do that it's easy to copy on what they're doing without realizing whether that's actually the best thing to do. So I like that you asked me that question at the beginning, like why keep it a mystery? Um, Cause yeah, it's like, it does, you don't have to do what everyone else does. And that kind of is what allows you to make better decisions when you're questioning the nature of the decisions that you're making. So very wise. And I look forward to testing that out and seeing how it goes. Things all about experimenting as well. It's about experimenting, but it's also about like going, coming back to consistency. Like I, I like Stephen Colbert. Do you like Stephen Colbert? Yeah, he's funny. Okay. Who's his guest tonight? No idea. Right. Does it matter? (laughs) Because (laughs) you want him to be funny. You want it to be a fun experience. That's what you're tuning in for. And so, yeah. you know, that, that's the, the, the mystery is how that's going to express itself. I always tell people when I'm editing episodes that when you describe something to me, I, I kind of write it out in my head. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And um, uh, if that's the case, then how can what I'm going to experience in that episode, whether it's an interview or a conversation or a narrative podcast, how is that going to violate my expectation of what's going to happen? How am I going to be surprised? And that's your job too. Okay, I'm going to talk to this person about this subject. How I make sure there's things in that subject that nobody, that conversation nobody saw coming. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. So, uh, Jane, I think you're the next person with your hand up. Hi again, Eric. So I have a question about the 10 words, uh, which Mm -hmm. I talk about and is like the most. Congratulations. We went an hour and 40 minutes before talking about it. Assuming the first thing people bring up. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Must mean everyone else has got it completely figured out, which is great. (laughs) Um, So I've been going back to this exercise a couple of times now. And um, so to give you some context, my podcast is called Inside Out with Jane. And it started out as a fun side project of me interviewing people in my life I found interesting and had, um, or who I thought were living at their dream jobs. And I would talk to them about their journey, the highs and lows of getting there. Um, And season one actually performed really well. Looking back, um, the download numbers were in the hundreds and um, it, it was doing well. And then I joined the accelerator and my, you know, my goal was to hone in on a niche. And I think at the time I was really inspired by Guy Raz and Reid Hoffman. And I myself have, uh, you know, had an experience where I ran a startup and got burnt out. And so there's this topic area around mental health for entrepreneurs that I wanted to explore. 
Um, and so I've been doing that as the topic of season two. My 10 words um, for this season is how to build a thriving business without losing your mind. Um, and I thought this would be kind of like the solution. I don't know. I guess my expectation was that this would catapult my podcast into some kind of new category and new new stage of growth. But even though I'm growing a ton on social media, I'm actually seeing the opposite in my download numbers. Mm. And I wonder if it's because um, it struck me a little bit as you were talking that um, I like authenticity is like something I've been thinking about in that with season one, it was people that I personally had a deep connection with and was able to have these free flowing conversations. And with season two, not that it's not natural, but I inherently am just like less, less personally interested or invested in these stories. Um, so yeah, I know I threw out a bunch of things there, but um, curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, that 10 word and how important it is to be like specific when you're thinking about your audience versus just the content you want to put out. Um, and is it wrong to just base it off of what I'm interested in as a host? Um, no, it's not only is it not wrong. You shouldn't be doing something you're not interested in as a host. You know, usually you can't expect other people to be passionate about something you're not passionate about. So if you find it like a subject boring or a guest boring, like there's a friend of mine was just on a podcast woman puts out three episodes a week and has been doing it for like a year and a half. I'm like, like, how can you do that? It's like this like brutal thing. And, and the truth is that she records tons of interviews. She's mm -hmm. not really into all of them. She mm -hmm. doesn't say no to anything. You know, Steve jobs, who, who's, a very quotable person was you know, always talked about you're me you're better known for the things you say no to than the things you say yes to. That that's much more does much more to define you. And I think that's true. Of you know, I really you know in that book I in I practice this in as many areas of my life I can fit it in like focus, like intention, right? Um, if you go back and you see behind me the books that are on the this shelf over here, right, right. So many of them are about intention and focus and kind of like purpose. And, uh, and I think that, um, so when you're figuring out what you want to do and what excites you, right? Give yourself the freedom to say no to things that don't, right? And you're like, well, that means I have to search more for topics or I have to throw out some episode conversations I've recorded, but now, you know, yeah, don't use them. If they don't, if they don't make, if they don't, if they don't get you excited, the conversations you record, you know, and sometimes you end up with somebody who um, is, you know, has an interesting story, but it just isn't a great conversation. It just didn't work out, right? You know, uh, it's kind of boring or they don't tell a good version of their story or they were tired or you were tired or whatever. It doesn't, you have to let it go. And so when you're talking about like that, that basic component of, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but uh, that basic component of, it's got to be, you got to be passionate about it and it's got to be a great conversation or it doesn't hit the market, it doesn't go out, right? And that does mean throwing things out that you put effort into. But if you don't, you know, look, it's like if you eliminate, if like, if you eliminate your worst episodes, you know, the overall average goes up, right? It's like, <laughs> like that, that, that's true regardless. And, and unfortunately, and if that means the difference between a season, however you define that, if a season was going to be 20 episodes or 10 episodes, and now it's six episodes instead of 10, 
which do you think is better for you to have six great episodes or to have 10 in which four of them are kind of lousy or aren't that real, real good? I mean, you are a victim of the rules you live by. And the great thing about podcasting is there are no rules or very few rules. I was also going to talk about your, your 10 word description, how to build a, a thriving business without losing your mind um, is it's a good, it's a, it's not bad. I'll put it that way. Um, I'll tell you right now that um, I'm, I'm missing you in that, right? Um, you have a personal narrative um, and you are a person who, who, who may be interesting that I want to hear your experience. Um, uh, and uh, the, the life you've lived, the background you have, the worldview you have. Um, I, I want to hear a little bit more about you and why somebody else couldn't sit in that chair and host the same thing. Right. I think that's something that you're kind of missing with that because it, 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 when you talk about how to build a thriving business without losing your mind, one of two things is happening. You're either giving all the advice, which I get the impression isn't the case, or you're talking to people who are sharing advice. And there's an example I use in the book. Uh, one, a woman who works for me now um, uh, was a friend of mine at the time and came up with a podcast She's like, we want to talk about film. And this example's in the book. I use it because it's such a good example. Um, and, and I'm like, that, that isn't good enough. Like, it's you and your friend talking about film. And it ended up being, by the time we were done talking about it, it was two young women talk to women filmmakers about advice of starting your career in film. That's really what they wanted to talk about. And they had a 10-word version of that thing. But that's very different than we're going to talk about film. And so there's a version of this that reflects you, what makes you different as a host that I'd, I'd be curious about. Um, and the people you're choosing to talk to, there's probably something, some kind of thread that binds all them too. And, and I, don't get a, I don't get a look at that in this 10 word thing too. You know, it, 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 there's two things that always derail these 10 word descriptions. One is that um, you're describing something that could be describe a bunch of other things. You mentioned Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale and Guy Raz's How I Built This. Could those two podcasts be used, could be described with the same sentence? Kind of. Um, you know, in some some episodes, they both could. Um, and so if there's, if, if you can, if there's two million podcasts, if you can describe a second one using your 10-word um, description, you probably aren't being specific enough. And the things that are that immediately jump to me is you've been a business owner. Um, uh, uh, you, there are, you, know, you, you appear to be a woman. I hope that's how you identify. And, and uh, there are other things about you, too, that I think are probably equally interesting and distinct. Like, those, those things make you a very specific host. And I want to hear that specificity, both in your, how you describe it and what I hear in the show. And the same thing with the guests. You're not picking anybody. There's a criteria for who you're picking. And, like, and the losing your mind thing feels like kind of a very generalized statement. And I think you, there's something more specific you can get at. So focus on you, focus on them. And I think that's really what you would do to do that. And, and that seems like, how can that make a difference? But how you describe your show in the world and the words you use, the things you choose to highlight are the distinction. And they do matter. Because when you're doing things that describe other things or aren't specific enough, you aren't serving yourself. I'm going to cut in really quickly here. We have yeah. about 10 minutes left and two more hands up. So if we want to do two quick answers, we have Rosie next. Thanks, Katie. Um, my core question was around 
my audience and listeners and how I, I don't feel that they're really engaging. If the numbers aren't really growing either. And I've been analyzing and analyzing to think about what it is. I'm sure it's a number of factors, including it might be the main thing that my my podcast and sort of myself is evolving, right? So I'm in season two. Season one was, I've never done a podcast before. Let's talk about these interesting topics. And they were kind of all over the map. Um, and this season was more focusing on how um, equity, diversity, and inclusion plays out in the workplace and how we can think about business differently. Season three that I'm already planning for is more linking capitalism and finances and so still business-focused. The common theme throughout all of that is why it's changing lenses. That's why I called it changing lenses. So about changing our perspectives. So mainly I'm wondering, because I can't get people to answer my question of what do you want to hear more about? What other guests would you like to hear? I just, I don't feel that kind of engagement and I'm trying to figure out if I've got the right audience or like the right people that I'm reaching and do I need to switch that up? Ultimately, I just wanted to know if people are connecting to this and if they aren't and they aren't, why not? But I can't get people to answer. So I know we've talked about kind of like, how do we do that on this? But I, yeah, if you have any suggestions for based on where I'm at, where to go next with this, that would be helpful. Uh, what I want is like when you said like what kind of guests do you what kind of subjects you want to talk about what guests do you want to have I I just don't have time to even think about that but we'll give an answer even for podcasts I love but if you ask me to tell me what problems I have then 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 I might engage on that or give you some feedback or like what's the th what or what's the question you've always wanted to ask but never been brave enough to ask about this subject like in a dangerous space. Mm. Or risky space. Um, a giveaway for people to ask anonymous questions because so much of uh, issues around business, specifically the DEI issues and representation, people are scared to admit they don't know what to do. People, even you know, it, people from all walks of life, just want to know how to do the right thing and need a little bit of handholding and are scared to ask questions. And if you provide a space for them to ask questions, you're solving a problem for them, right? So in an anonymous way or an easy way, fill out a Google form or whatever to ask your question, or what are some problems you have? Or what's like, you know, something that, where you really are focusing on what they get. But if you ask them just what they want, no one's ever gonna give you the right answer, or they're gonna give you a polite answer. They're not gonna speak to the truth. And so find ways to kind of bust through that by focusing on solving problems for them directly or indirectly in anonymous questions mm -hmm. is an indirect way uh, asking them like what are some of the things you struggle with share me tell me your story yep. um, those are things that, that will work thank you so if this yeah. is my description does this convey what i was trying to describe um, so this podcast is about diverse is where we learn to diversify our perspectives decolonize business and humanize work that sounds like broccoli to me it sounds like really important, like it's good for me, but I don't understand why, uh, you know, uh, navigating, you know, it, what people, you know, like on those issues, those same exact issues you said, like, like people need help navigating new terrain, uh, terrain that uh, is unfamiliar to them or that, you know, they don't, it's not that they don't care about them, they just don't know what to do. And, and, and your conversations you're having can demystify that. So if you're, you know, a problem people have is the, the mystery and not knowing what to do. And if you talk about, you know, here's where we demystify and kind of provide some pathways or some roadmaps, 
on how to grow in these areas. That sounds like, I just not say, yeah, I'd be curious. I want, I want to do that. Makes sense. Thanks a lot, Eric. Sure. And, and by when I say it, it means it sounds like broccoli. It's not a pejorative statement. It's just like, it's good for me. It just doesn't, isn't necessarily the choice I would make because yep. you haven't made it appetizing. And you make it Understood. appetizing when you solve the problem. So, Understood. Okay, okay. Thank you, Eric. And we have one final hand up, and that is Julian's. Julian. All right. So Jane inspired me to ask a 10-word question, uh, 10-word description question. And okay. so initially when uh, I started my podcast, I focused, and it's an entrepreneurship podcast, and initially I focused a 10-word description on like a mission statement, like why does this podcast exist? And so initially uh, the 10-word description was, our mission is to inspire and empower young entrepreneurs to solve the world's biggest problems, right? A specific emphasis on solving on entrepreneurs that are solving big problems, massive problems, and making the case that this is for entrepreneurs and both to inspire, not only inspire, but to empower them. But, uh, but I, the more like 10 word descriptions that I read, I realized that it's really talking about the what, not the why. And mm -hmm. I like, I guess there's kind of like a trade-off between both that I've noticed. Currently, I've, I've changed it to the what, a 10-word description, which is basically uh, telling the stories of the visionary tech entrepreneurs that are solving the world's biggest problems, right? So that's talking about like who the guest is and what they're specifically focused on and whatnot. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you would think about the trade-off between these two, like talking about the what, the what uh, versus the mission in this 10-word uh, statement, like what you think is most effective and whatnot. And, uh, and, and one like point there is like the mission, I like that it speaks to like, hey, I'm targeting young entrepreneurs, while like the what is like, hey, we're talking to visionary tech entrepreneurs. It doesn't say who this is for, although it might be implied. Uh, it be it might be more implicit. So yeah, curious what your thoughts are on that. So I um, I think mission statements are good for getting people excited about what they're doing, but I don't think they work outside of that group. And I mean that I mean that for large organizations too. And most most mission statements are like like blah 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 blah. blah. And I, I'm very critical of a lot of mission statements of organizations because they they do things that feel good and sound good, uh, but they don't actually they don't put anything at risk. They don't put anything on the line, right? And so what's a way that you could put something at risk in this? And that would be my making a promise you then have to deliver. And when I hear you talking, I hear you talking about this mission and you want to, you want to inspire, um, uh, which I think is great. So how do you inspire? Like what, what, what is the thing, what, what, what does the inspiration come from? Yeah, so the inspiration piece is by talking about entrepreneurs that are solving these massive problems. It's like, whoa, if they're doing something to solve this massive problem that seems like almost impossible to solve, I could probably do it as well, especially if this guest is like a young entrepreneur that is close to my age. That's mm -hmm. the inspiration component. And then the empowerment is, well, if you're solving a massive problem, you have to learn so much along the journey in order to be able to figure out <laughs> how the hell to solve it, that there's a lot of lessons uh, along the way that we can then communicate to the audience. That's the empowerment piece. So uh, uh, Kevin Morita, who just got announced as being the executive um, 
editor of the Los Angeles Times and used to be an editor at ESPN before he was that, started um, um, an online presence at ESPN called The Undefeated. And he, um, when in the mission statement for The Undefeated, he said, The Undefeated is dope, was his description, right? Mm -hmm. And he did that so purposefully because he knew that some people were going to understand what that meant for a sports site to be dope. And a lot of people wouldn't, he didn't care about, right? And a lot, there's a lot of, we express a lot of code in very many areas of our life. Um, And I think that your 10 word description, because you're specifically talking to young people and you want to help them kind of use inspiration to hack world problems, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That there's a code you can say, which means is going to mean something to them that uh, serves two purposes. It means something to them about what the inspiration is meant to do for them. And it also is code that it's for them, which that means you don't have to say for young people, young entrepreneurs, like that's implied that they know what that means. And so I think that you would be well served by thinking that way of how can I speak in code to young entrepreneurs in language that they are going to understand and nobody else will. And that's totally fine. Gotcha. Yeah. So in that case, it becomes more implicit uh, just yeah. by the way you communicate. What, 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 you know, when they, when he talked, it wasn't the only, the, the, the mission statement of the undefeated was not the undefeated is dope. It was one sentence in that mission statement. And you may be able to Google and find it somewhere because uh, I'm somebody who did once it's, it's out there somewhere. But um, uh, that kind of thinking of what that one word conveys is something you should be thinking about too in yours. Definitely. Okay, cool. I like that. I, I think and I'll stick with it the It should what. be, you, you, you appear to me to be, to be uh, significantly younger than me, which is, I'm not that crazy old, but um, uh, you, know, <laughs> you should use words that would sound authentic coming out of your mouth and total bullshit coming out of mine. So I would like to thank you so much, Eric, um, and thank everybody for uh, your amazing questions. Eric, we have requests in the chat already for you to return. So great. Um, That's great. And I would do that. And I'm going to put um, uh, something in this. I have a newsletter uh, that comes out every couple of weeks. I would love that. Uh, Put it up. So if I think that link takes you to that website, I'm, uh, I'll check it now before we get off. If yeah. you go to audioinsurgent.com, you find uh, the sign up for my my newsletter, which is, yeah, that's exactly right. It works, uh, which um, comes out every couple of weeks and talks about stuff like this um, and all sorts of other things too. Perfect. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. Um, it was real fun.